Hey everybody, Jimmy Smith on today's Unlocking the Cage podcast. I sit down with UFC flyweight Kai Kara France after his victory last Saturday over Askar Askarov and an in-depth interview with UFC welterweight Matt Brown about not just his career, but the history of MMA and the welterweight division. Kai Kara France, fresh off his win last Saturday over Askar Askarov. How you doing, my man? So, bro, yeah, we're really good. Back, back home now, uh, soaking it all in. So, yeah, happy days. So, before this fight, I was curious about it. Heading into this, at least a title eliminator at some point. Of course, we'll talk, we'll get into Davis and Figueiredo and and Brandon Moreno right now. Going back, but we'll get into that in a minute. But this was a big fight for you against an undefeated fighter. Did you feel any more pressure on your shoulders in camp or going into this fight? Not really. Um, my last fight was I felt more pressure um, just because of who I was fighting and the biggest stage I felt I felt like fighting in T-Mobile Arena in Vegas first event with a crowd um, in two years so for this fight against Ashka Ashcroft um, I was like I've already had you know uh, high stakes and, and bigger fights um, so this is just another guy I wasn't really looking past it and thinking oh, okay if I beat this guy I've got a title shot I was just it was just another guy for me. So, um, yeah, that's that's just where I'm at right now. I'm not building it up more than it needs to be. And when I'm in there, you know, I'm just, I feel at home. I've been doing this for so long. And, and um, my fight, my last fight was only three months before that. So it was fresh. I, I know what fight week was going to be like. I knew what fight night was going to be like. And um, being in Columbus, Ohio, uh, didn't know where that was before I went there. <laughs> and now, you know, I'm... <laughs> They put me as one. They have me as one of their, their own, and uh, to have that kind of reception and feel like a hometown fight, um, yeah, it was amazing. Uh, but how was the preparation from Cody Garbrandt to Askar Askarov? Couldn't be any more different, right? You know, Cody's going to stand and bang, try and take your head off. Askar Askarov, his grappling is his biggest weapon. He's a submission machine. That's what he does. How different was the preparation for this fight from, for example, a Cody Garbrandt? How different was it? Yeah, a lot more in, uh, extensive work on the scrambling, especially um, in that clinch, uh, that, that uh, quite, I guess, common Russian style where they go for that body lock. And uh, we took uh, blueprints from Robert Whitaker when he fought uh, Romero, and he couldn't get rid of the wrist control. So what he had to do is he had to limp, uh, limp his shoulder and get, get underneath uh, that underhook and then eventually... Uh, break that lock because uh, you know when Russians get their hands together it's so hard to peel the hands off and to fight the hands uh, that that's what they train so we we did our homework you know it was something that we, we'd been drilling for a while and and uh, I was I was uh, confident that I would be able to neutralize uh, his wrestling and um, the first round you know we got stuck in uh, a few different situations I, I eventually got back to my feet and um, was fighting the hands you know I'm one of the best in the division at fighting the hands um and then second round, well, after that first round, he pushed me. And then I, I knew I was frustrating him because he couldn't get me out. This is his best play, place that he could get me out. Body triangle on my back, fighting the choke. And then I was kind of, at no point did I ever feel threatened by, by the choke. So um, when he couldn't get me out, I knew he was frustrated. So I just stayed still and just looked at him. I said, okay, now it's my turn. So then that second round, I just changed that momentum, you know, and um Southpaw fighter, so a lot of lead hand um, fighting. And then um, 
I just had to mix up my right hand. Obviously, I've got a I got a good right hand and one of the best in in the UFC. But um, it's hard to find the targets when the guys not doing normal things that a normal southpaw would be doing. He wasn't biting on my punches. He was evading everything. So it was a bit hard to find that range because his corner was literally telling him, don't fight, don't fight a fist fight. You want to go back to wrestling. So, um, yeah, I had to kind of draw it out of him. I was the one bringing the fight to him. He wanted to wrestle. And at the end of the day, this is a fight. So you got to you got to mix it up. You can't just be one-dimensional. And, um, yeah, I could feel the, the momentum shifting. The crowd was behind me, you know, and uh, just feeding off that. So um, I had him hurt a few times. You know, he's got a chin. He, he's definitely durable. Um, I landed some heavy shots on him, especially into that second round. And then, um, yeah, the third round, we, we'd done enough to kind of um, – to get the nod from the judges, but I, I, you know, I was doing a lot more than um, people were realizing. You know, I was kicking um, as well as um, defending every takedown that he that he uh, most takedowns that he went for. I defended most of them. Um, at one point, he had my back in that third round, and I reversed it pretty much straight away. And then uh, most of the other times, you know, he he was on the back foot, and I was trying to pressure. I was trying to bring the fight to him. I point to the ground saying. This yeah. is a fight, like, and um, not that. Not um, I knew I knew he's deaf as well, uh, partially deaf. So, and this is international language for let's throw down. <laughs> well, let's so, stand um, here and bang. Exactly. I understand that Max completely, man. Style. All right. Yeah, so, so speaking of Kai Car, fr- straight away. Yeah, he did right away. So I want to ask you about that. Kai Car France, of course, victorious last Saturday against Askar Askarov. What's it like? I, I saw a certain level. You were very composed. You were very professional. But there's always that certain level of frustration. We saw the Jorge Masvidal with Kobe Covington where you want to unload, but the guy's just waiting for you to bring your hips forward so we can get under and get that takedown. How frustrating is that as a striker of your caliber who has knockout power to not be able to use that weapon as often as you want? Was it a little bit frustrating to kind of hold yourself back like that? Definitely. Eugene said, uh, my head coach was just saying, stay disciplined, show your level in this fight. You know, we're not going to get caught and, um, and and do something stupid. We want to, you know, 15 minutes of just staying focused, staying present and um, executing this game plan. So, you know, I've, I've, I'm more than um, capable of doing that. My experience is, uh, you know, I've got a lot of experience in this, in this game now. So it being in the, being in these big fights now, um, I don't let it get to me. You know, I just, I know what I have to do. I know there's a job, and and um, end of the day, it's just uh, going off instinct as well as back yourself. And um, it's a self belief thing for me. You know, it took a little while for me to kind of overcome finding my feet in the UFC, but now you know, knocking out a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and, um, against Bonturin, beating Cody Garbrandt, a former champion, uh, and at one point was one um, talked about as one of the best boxers in the UFC, and now beating a Russian that's undefeated, never lost before, and, and at one point, you know, uh, neutralizing his wrestling, his best weapon, and, and getting the nod from the judges. So where I'm at right now, you know, I've, I've always had the self-belief, but now um, now it's all aligning, you know, and and uh, being 3-0, and uh, being on a three-fight win streak, you know, taking out the second guy. Now I'm ranked number two in the UFC. Um, yeah, we're just in a great place, so... I only see title fights in front of me now. Like I, I've done enough to kind of get get that kind of uh, credibility. Taken out a former champ, people are saying, "Well, he wasn't uh, in his prime of his career. He never he wasn't in the flyweight rankings, so you can't really." Um, it was a great name to take out, but it, it, for the rankings, um, it didn't really do do anything for me. I didn't change. I stayed at six. 
but taking on Askar Askarov, you know, high risk, high reward. No one wanted to fight this guy. Uh, like everyone in the top five, he'd beaten most guys in that top five. And um, Eugene, my head coach, just said, this is the guy to take out. If we want to really um, set ourselves up for a yeah. title, you have to take the tough fights. And that's what I was welcoming. I, I'd done so much in the camp working on uh, wrestling, working on scrambling and sharpening my own tools um, in stand-up, you know, new new problems um, and puzzle to solve, you know, southpaw, um, elite wrestler that I had to try neutralize. So now, you know, getting past that test, um, there's exciting matchups. Brandon Moreno and all figured are both exciting matchups for me. And um, yeah, I'm right there. So we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what, what, what's the case with their fourth fight, if that's it going ahead or if, if they want to go with uh, me against Figueroa. So we'll, we'll see what happens. So so what's your thought on that? Uh, speaking of Kaikar France, victorious last Saturday over Askar Askarov, Davison Figueredo first tweeted, yeah, you put yourself in position, da-da-da, great win. And then yep. this thing about Moreno's camp is racist, I want to fight Kaikar France, he attacked the UFC, you, everybody. What were your thoughts on this whole thing? Because I, I know you were – you weren't thinking about title title fights or whatever this led to, but Davidson Figueroa's got to be on your radar, and here he is calling you out. What do you think of all that, man? Yeah, after that fight, I had a few people calling me out. Figueroa was wanting to fight me, the champ, which is obviously a good thing. Brandon Moreno said, "Let's do an interim title fight, and I'll fight Kai." And then um, even like Manel Cap was trying to fight yeah. me as well as Alexander Pantoja. So. Everyone wants a piece now. They realize that I'm I'm the face. I'm the fresh. I'm the new guy, and um, they they, they want to you know jump on the hype train and, and take it from me. But the thing is, the balls in my court now. I took the risk. You guys went there. You guys went fighting. Um, no one wanted to fight this Russian. No one wanted to fight Eskash, bro. Um, I was the one that knocked out Cody Garbrandt. So I'm in a good position. That was my second to last fight of my UFC contract as well. So um, now we're talking titles. So. I had a talk with Mick, the matchmaker, um, yeah. after the fight, and um, pretty much said, "You know, you're you're the guy. Uh, pretty much, we need to have a chat with Dana and Mick, with my coaches, and and um, get this thing done." So, uh, yeah, I, I pretty much I'm not fighting until until uh, it's a title fight, pretty much. Um, but you know, I have to, if they do go off this fourth fight, I'll happily be a reserve fighter and make weight and, and um, be the guy if, if need be to step in. But um, after that, after that fourth fight, then I'll, I'll happily, let's bring the UFC back to Australia or New Zealand. Like how, how good would that be? But uh, you know, how do I make out of the situation? If they do go ahead of that fourth fight, you know, people obviously want to see it. It's a fan favorite fight, but they're going to have to fight someone new eventually. And, and I've just set myself up and I'm the next guy. What is that journey like? All you've been through in your career, everything you've done, the highs and lows. Uh, my last question for you is, uh, how does it feel to be in that position where you're the guy that everybody's calling out? How does that feel, man? It's just satisfying knowing that, you know, I, I stuck this thing out and um, just riding it out, highs and lows, leaps and bounds, smiles and frowns. But um, the, the guy that stays most consistent is the guy that usually – makes it to the top and, and where I'm at in my career, it's the championship mentality that um, I've been working on for a few years now. It hasn't just been something that I wake up and be like, okay, I want to be the champ. It's years and years of dedicating, you know, trying to do that 1% extra, trying to 
uh, find a, an advantage somewhere, um, really believing it. You know, if, if you don't believe it, that you're going to be the champion, then who else is going to believe you? And, and training with world champions like Israel and Alex Volkanovski, um, it's contagious. And I, I see what they're doing and they what um, what separates them and, and the standards they have um, makes me, you know, look at myself and what I see, what I'm doing, not just in the gym, but outside and, and um, you know, trying to be the best version of myself. So that's what you're seeing. You know, I've, I've really uh, dedicated myself to the sport for the last 10 years. And, and now where I'm at, um, it's all paying off. So, you know, bringing in all these different coaches, not just my head coach, Eugene, and, and the rest of the coaching stuff that we have at City Kickboxing, but, you know, uh, working off breathing coaches, working off mindset coaches, working off, you know, um, you know the best strength and co- uh, conditioning, trying to um, get the best re- uh, recovery, you know, in my in my garage. I've got a chest freezer, an ice bath and a sauna because I want to maximize the recovery so the next day I can train just as much. All these little things, they play a big part. And um, now you're seeing that, you know, I'm at home, you know, being a father now. Uh, I'm just so focused and, and trying to better my family's life and that, that translates into um, being the best fighter in the gym. So when I'm over there at, uh, in America fighting in Vegas or in Columbus at all these big stadiums, um, I'm more than ready for this. You know, I've been doing, I've been visualizing, visualizing this for so many years now and um, it's like deja vu when I'm in there. I've seen it before. I've, I've um, yeah, I've, I've reenacted this in my head so many times now. So now you're just seeing... Um, yeah, now you're just seeing it all come together. So it's an exciting time for me, you know, uh, being being a part of City Kickboxing, so many world champions, um, and we're about to get a third one. So, um, yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to see you. I hope it all works out great for you. You make the money you want. You get the title opportunity you want. Thanks a lot for sharing your time with us, Kai Car France. Thank you so much, buddy. No worries. I appreciate the time, man. Thank you. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius. XM Channel 156. Fought last Saturday. Uh, went to war with Brian Barbarina. I used to term go to war because he goes to war every single time he fights. That's why he's one of my favorites to watch. The immortal Matt Brown, man. Thank you so much for joining us, bud. Hey, thanks for having me, bro. Hey, anytime, anytime. So the first thing I have to ask, uh, you got fight of the night against Brian Barbarina. Back and forth. Crowd loved it. I loved it. Everybody saw it, loved it. How did that fight feel Physically, how did it feel getting ready? How did it feel in the preparation, the camp leading up to it? How was your body responding to everything now at this point in your career? All the fights you've had, all the miles you had, how is everything responding right now? Uh, it's pretty good, man. You know, um, I had some injuries going in, but, you know, yeah. I don't like to talk about that, man, you know, because it was a good fight. You know, it's all about the fight. Uh, but, you know, felt uh, overall, I felt uh, very, very good. And uh, during the fight, I mean, it was an exhausting fight, you know, was made it for a lot of fun. You know, it was one of the funnest fights I've ever had. And, you know, all respect to Brian, man. You know, he came in, fought like a soldier. How hard is that for people who have never been in there to understand where it's it's like supposed to be an enjoyable experience? You know, as weird as that sounds, as tough as fighting is, the idea that if, if it were if it weren't fun, I'd do something else. And. 
how hard is that for people who haven't fought to understand? How hard is it to translate that? Yeah, a war for 50 minutes to beat the crap out of each other is a lot of fun. How hard is that to explain to people, man? I don't even try. <laughs> it's like, man, either you get it or you don't get it, right? Like, this ain't for everybody. I'm sure not everybody's going to have fun doing that. But I don't have fun sitting in fucking business meetings or, uh, you know, doing my finances or, you know, sitting at an office either. You know, <laughs> like, this is... This is my fun. You have been in the UFC since 2008. And uh, the, the idea that, that you fought just about everyone, you've been on the streaks, you've had the highs, you've had the lows. What is that experience in total from 2008 to today, 2022? What has that experience been like for you, man? Like when you look back on it and that, that, that run, what stands out to you, man? I, I can't believe that this is my life, man. This was what I dreamed of. And this is, I'm, I'm just so blessed and so grateful to be here doing what I'm doing, still able to do it. Um, still able to go out there and win fights like that. Um, even if the judges want to give it to him, you know, it's whatever um, to still go out there and put on, you know, whether win or lose, like put on performances like that, have a fight like that. Um, I'm just so grateful, man. Um, you know, looking back, I mean, I'm a little disappointed, like, because I, I never got to a title. You know, that was my whole goal, be the best in the world, you know. Um, so that's like the only disappointment. But other than that, um, I, I just have so much fun with it, man. I love it. I'm I'm, I'm so blessed. I feed my family with this. Uh, you know, I have other means, too, to do things. But, you know, I, I take care of my family. They live a good life. My kids have a good life. They got food on their plate. We got a, a decent car we drive around. So... Um, you know, you can't ask for much more than what I got right now. Speaking, of course, to Matt, the immortal Brown, great performance last Saturday against Brian Barbarena. Um, I was speaking to, and, you know, I get to talk to a lot of MMA veterans who've been in the sport a long time. And one of the questions I asked, you know, it was Neil Magny uh, yesterday, and we were talking about, you know, his career and how long he's been in it. I said, what's the difference between the mentality of fighters now and when you started? And he goes, they're much more business savvy. They're much more, if I fight this guy at this time, I get a title shot earlier and this and this and that, and, you know, am I getting paid enough for this kind of fight? And and do you believe that's that's a positive or a negative for the sport? Like, when you started out, I was like, hey, you're fighting this guy. All right. You know, and you were known as one of those guys. Put him in front of me, line him up, knock him down. But now if I was a little bit more judicious about those kinds of things, is that a positive or a negative from the outside? Mm, for the sport, I mean, it's probably overall – more negative right like the fans don't get the the same experience uh, if we were all just warriors you know but yeah. look for their own pockets it's a positive right so you know what can you say man you can't hate on guys for being like that but that's also not the type of guys that i hang with man like neil's a great dude we used to hang out all the time when i lived in denver i yeah. love that dude man you know and he's the uh you know, he's just a warrior, man, and, and he's he's a gamer. He's all about it. He's about that life. He's the type of guy I like to be around, man, and he's a uh, doesn't come across that way at all, right? Like, you would never yeah. guess, man. Yeah. You could absolutely sit down at a coffee shop and drink tea with him and feel just as normal as, as him, you know, the day before a fight, you know? It's like he's just that guy, man, and uh, but you, you, can't, you can't have enough respect for a guy like him. Did you happen to see his fight? I'm very curious. I know were you were in the you were warming up at the time, right? Because he kicked it off. Yeah, I was Did you see up. his fight at all? I watched it. I that, didn't that, watch it, it closely. 
I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. Is it hard? Because, you know, you said Neil Magnus, your boy, you really like him. Do you not want to watch it and get emotionally wrapped up? Because he got got lit up in the first round and came back. But, like, you're warming up. You have your own thing to deal with. You try not to watch the fight. I'm really curious about that. If it's your boy or somebody you know. There was was a little bit of, uh, um, you know, I was a little torn right then because I was like, dude, I got to warm up. I need to do this. I need to do that. And I'm sitting there (laughs) watching Neil and, you know – you know, his fight was a little back and forth too, you know, and he had, yeah. he had to battle through some adversity. So I'm like, come on, Neil. Oh shit. I got to do this. You know? So <laughs> yeah, there was a little bit of a balance there. Yeah. Do you believe the fans and, and, and to kind of piggyback on the point we just made about people being more judicious about who they fight. I remember when Sugar Sean O'Malley came out and said, I'm not fighting rank guys without rank money. I'm, you know, I'm on my first contract. I'm not fighting rank guys until they pay yeah. me. And what I noticed, I've been in MMA. Well, God, 24 years now. And in the early days, that dude's a punk. He's a coward. He's scared. And I think the fans are just more educated where they went, yeah, I get that. Da-da-da. The contract's four fights. And, you know, your first four, you should be fighting nobodies. And then you – you know what I mean? It seems as though the fans are more educated about the business. Is that a fair statement? I would say so, yeah. You know, for me, I'm not that guy. I'm like, look, man, you know, you live your life the way you want to live it. You yeah. do what you want to do. I'm going to do what I want to do, man. Like – like, I know who I am. I'm a warrior, and I like being in that cage. You know, whoever's standing across from me. And, you know, I'm not a, you know, but, you know, more power to him, man, for doing it the way that he's done it. I mean, he's probably making as much as I am at this point, maybe more. So, you, you know, when when we all retire one day and, and we can't do this shit no more, you know, he's going to walk away with maybe more than I did, you know, so I can't hate on him for that. Um it's just not my mentality, you know, like I'm, I'm a lot like Neil in that respect, you know, like it's not our mentality. We love to fight, man. Fighters fight. Uh, speaking, of course, to Matt, the immortal Brown, one of the most entertaining fighters of all time, to say the least. What is the every time about the downside of, 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 of fighting as regularly as you have throughout your career? I mean, you know, there are times there's three or four fights in a year for you. And in 2007, was it five or six for you? It was it was it was insanity, right? Mike Tyson, early on in his career, I remember Customato said that. He was fighting like every two weeks. And they asked Kevin, uh, was it Kevin Rooney or Teddy Atlas, one of his coaches, and they said, why do you fight so much? And he says, kept him out of trouble. Kept him off the street. It kept, you know, like when he wasn't, you know, back home in Brownsville, we could keep him in the gym and he kept out of trouble. And you also don't have the I, – I, I'm not – I don't mean to say this about you. It's a generalization where when you talk to junkies, they go – all I got to worry about is my fix. Everything else is complicated and difficult, and I don't like that. All I got to worry about when I'm a junkie is my fix. A lot of fighters are like, dude, as long as I got a fight coming, I'm getting ready. I don't have it's, – it's like this tunnel vision that can in yep. itself become addicting. It, it, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you, do you feel about that? Like, dude, it's so simple, right? I feel it 100%, yeah. bro. Yeah. Life is a bitch, man. It's a hard game. Way harder than this sport. Um, and, and that's – part of the allure man we're like well like, look we got a goal we got something to shoot for you know we got something we're about to do the scariest thing you can do outside of go to a, a real war you know if we don't have that that's why a lot of these that's why a lot of these guys retire and turn alcoholic or uh you know lose their uh, livelihood in many different ways alcoholism is a uh, one because you take that away and it's like you know, what's my mission now? Same, same as a, 
a veteran coming back from war, right? Like they're living for one thing. You take that away. It's like, dude, what's my mission? Like, like what's my objective now? What am I? And you don't know. So uh, the easiest way to kill that pain, you know, is through alcohol and drugs and stuff. But there's um, um, fortunately for someone like myself, I've, I've yeah. built a lot of things to try to curtail that in advance. My gym, my coffee business, um, you know, and I'm working on some other things too, you know. Um, and at this point, I can only hope that that does the job. You know, the, like the kids in my gym, they inspire me, you know, that the the fighters, I, I can help them and sort of live through them. I hope that that does it for me. But there is a fear, you know, and, and I think mo- a lot of fighters would would say the same thing. There's a fear. That's not going to do it for me. I'm going to need that adrenaline. I'm going to need to push my body to the brink of death. I'm going to need something that scares me every fucking day. And, uh, you know, I, all we can do is wait for that time and see what happens in. And at, at least I think for myself, at least, at least I recognize it. So, you know, I think that's yeah. always uh, the best. At least you can recognize it and see um, this is going to be a problem if you don't figure something out in, in advance. Does it help at all? As you said, you talked about your kids and providing for your children. I know having a family myself was like, it's a different, sometimes I come home from the road or whatever. And, you know, my daughter's there and, hey, you know, and you're like, man, I could just sit here right now and just all day. And, and you know what I mean? Which I couldn't have done when I was yeah. 25, 26. Like I could sit here all day. And she's like, let's, you know, want to watch a movie. Okay. And you put on a movie and I sit there and I'm like, this is, I could literally do this forever you know is that part of it to you that finding something else to love or something something in yourself to care about yeah you know like with my kids i'm like that for about a day and then i'm like this fucking sucks man like i love you guys but (laughs) um i'm gonna fucking lift some weights man this blows you know uh (laughs) i love my kids to death i try i do a lot of shit with them all the time take them to the gym we're going here after this interview actually and um but like I'm not a you know stay at home caretaker type of guy, man. I got I got to be out there bleeding and sweating. Uh, speaking of that, talking to Matt the Immortal Brown um, after the Brian Barberina fight once again in your career, and you've had a lot of them. Uh, fight of the night, you know, you have performance of the night bonuses. Seems like every time you fight knockout night, you received every bonus you can. After a performance like that, as much as it takes out of you, are you raring to get back in immediately? Is there a recovery process? Tell me about the the necessary care at this point in your career after a fight like that that was so long and so brutal. No, um, you know I, I got some life stuff I got to deal with. It, yeah, um, kind of like, like we're we're just talking about, you know. So I got yeah. if if I didn't have all that, I'd be ready to fight right now i'm actually going to go train tonight at the gym i'm uh, uh you know do some light stuff and get the blood flowing again but uh, you know i feel perfectly fine man um uh, unfortunately you know again there, there's all these other parts you know and i was yeah. i was talking with this uh, uh with cormier you know he mentioned it on the broadcast actually and said look life is hard man the fighting is actually the easiest thing that i do yeah. you know like, I got to go fucking pay taxes, man. That's hard. Yeah. You know? yeah. I got to sit down and organize my, you know, K-1s and whatever, 1099s and shit. Like, that's 10 times harder to me than going in and having a war with Brian Barberina again this weekend. 
I would choose that war with Brian any day today. I would go fight him again today before I would do that stuff. So, you know, that, that's the, um, that's the thing that holds you back. And, and that's why I don't fight quite as much as I used to, because I have all these other uh, layers to my life that I have to be taken care of. And then when I get to camp, you know, I need those things to be completely taken care of so that they're off the plate. I was talking to somebody about Kamara Usman, and, and he's being compared, of course, to GSP. And the numbers, when you look at guys from GSP's era, the numbers always favor GSP. And what I try to explain to people is he got a title fight in his second fight in the UFC. Anderson Silva, second fight. So they have longer runs because they started earlier. Like, you came to the UFC, and it was, all right, he's okay. He'll fight for the title. You don't didn't need six or seven or eight to get a title shot. And so... Do people not, and that was kind of the tail, you know, the, the tail end of that is when you started your career in 2008. It's almost like Sugar Ray Robinson has 200 pro fights. And so when you talk about him and Floyd Mayweather, the numbers just don't, aren't even close. But fighters of this era don't do that anymore. Is that a difference people don't understand? Is A, the training, where they basically went to war every day in the gym back when I started. And the second thing is the schedule was just way different. How often somebody fought and the level at which they fought was way different. Do people not understand that who weren't around then? That's a good point. I think that's a, that's pretty, you know, we could do a whole podcast just on that conversation right there. I think, you know, like, a, Love and I, I'd, I'd probably enjoy doing that. Um, there's, there's so many differences between now and then when you say the numbers don't add up. Um, I'm not sure what numbers are. Cause uh, if you look at the, I think the number one number that's going to matter is the, um, the, re- the opponent's records, right? And Kamaru what is, I mean now is the title defenses, where the, he got his title yeah. so much earlier than Kamaru had to have like six or seven fights before he got right. a title shot. GSP started right away, so the title defenses tend to be so much longer yeah. for Anderson Silva, GSP, John, because it's a different era. You got it a lot earlier. You weren't yeah. in your early 30s, you know? Right, right. And yeah. So I, I'm guessing your argument is that Kamaru is the greater fighter then, right? I, I mean, he's fighting better guys, you could argue, because everybody's guys. better sure. now. But, yeah. like I said, the numbers, GSP fought legend after legend like three or four times a year because that's how it worked back then. It's just yeah. you don't do that anymore. It's twice a year if you're lucky, right? Yeah, yeah, there's that. Yeah. And then the, the guys that GSP was fighting that were legends, a lot of those wouldn't be legends today. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, and some of the guys that Kamaru beat to get to the title could have been champions back then, yeah. legends back then. So, yeah, it's a – Everybody, everybody goes off of that whole, you know, the belt is everything kind of mentality. Yeah. And it's really not right. Like, I think that's the big thing here is, uh, you know, the belt means you beat one guy on that day. Now, defending, it's a different story. But to get there, that means this guy happened to have it. You're able to beat him that day. It doesn't really mean a whole lot more than that. Defending it a bunch of times means a lot more, I do think. But. Yeah, numbers. We talk about Floyd and Sugar Ray, on the other hand. Dude, Floyd's the, the biggest hype job in the history of, of, of <laughs> combat sports. And more power to him. He fucking does it great. And, and he has beat some legitimate great guys. So he is absolutely in the, you know, with, I, I, don't, I don't hate on anyone for putting him in that conversation. Right. But when you start looking objectively – at the numbers, the truth, the reality of it, he's not in the conversation, man. He, Sugar Ray's number one, like without even, there's not a, there's a distant number two 
Yeah, that yeah, that's how I feel. Well, and and also, but but and the contrast is Sugar Ray Robinson once again two hundred pro fights. He died broke. Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather ain't dying broke. And it's it's also like <laughs> I said that contrast about MMA. Sugar bro, Ray Robinson died with nothing. Yeah, he, he might. He's got some money to go through, though, bro. Uh, Matt, dude, I so appreciate your time. Like I said, I could talk to you for an hour about any one of these subjects, man, but I appreciate you every time you step in the octagon, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, for sure. We'll have to do it sometime. Do a long-form podcast, man. I'm in. You and me, you just let me know. Matt, the immortal Brown. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. And SiriusXM Fight Nation program director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.